Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Hello, and welcome back to FT Science with me, Andrew Jack. This week, we look at science in schools and discuss the importance of practical experiments in the learning process. Let's get back to conducting experiments that are real experiments. Science is about experimentation, and experiments go wrong. I'd like young people spending more time explaining why things weren't exactly as the textbook said. And we ask, is there any scientific evidence that we're drinking too little water and that it's doing us harm? It's been thoroughly debunked at least twice in the peer-reviewed medical literature. There's never been any evidence that says that whale people need to drink more than they would naturally wish to drink. Joining me in the studio is regular Diana Garnham, and special guest this week is the chair of the Science and Technology Committee and Labour MP, Andrew Miller. Thanks for joining us, Andrew. So, Andrew, the Science and Technology Committee launched a new inquiry examining the importance of experiments in school science lessons and science field trips earlier this year. Perhaps we could start. Why in the first place did the committee really decide to, to get into this? In the first place, we have been concerned for some time about the lack of longitudinal studies about why young people get involved in science. There's a lot of anecdotes, but not much scientific evidence. So we decided that we'd try our best to draw from the anecdotes there are some sensible conclusions. And so we started looking at how did people get involved in Crest, how did people get involved in Big Bang, the role of the science learning centres, the fantastic buzz that kids get, and I still get it, I have to say, when you do things yourself. And we really wanted to try and understand to what extent that impacts upon people's choice of career in the longer term. And your sense when you started putting out probes and beginning to bring in evidence was that that perception, that concern actually is pretty widespread? It certainly appears to be. The evidence that entries into the Big Bang having an impact upon people's choice of subsequent career is measurable. In a previous inquiry, we looked at particle physics and astronomy, and two little anecdotes from that. When we were in CERN, we asked a group of young British scientists what switched them on to science. And almost every one of that audience said astronomy. How did they get exposed to astronomy? Partly through the schools, partly through the National Schools Observatory, and partly through family connections. And the second example was we got some young people in A-level students, hardly a surprise, inspiring teachers, top of the list, hugely important, but also the exposure to science and the hands-on involvement in science at an early age. Also, as a result of this perhaps reduction in experimental learning, that fewer students are now studying science? Well, that does appear to have an impact. And we've explored that rather carefully. We've looked, for example, at to what extent the shift, partly because of the pressures of the curriculum, partly because, in some cases, excuses about the Health and Safety at Work Act, why things are more demonstrated these days rather than the young people 
doing them themselves. It seems to me that if you talk to young people who've got into science, then we can identify what those triggers were. What's more important to me is if we want to switch more young people on to studying science, we need to understand what's switching them off or what isn't working for them. And I think the competitive element of CREST and the National Science and Engineering Competition may not be quite right for some, but the evidence from some of the field trips, which is emphasising the multidisciplinary nature, building up from where young people actually are and building the lesson and the learnings in, in science around, you know, the pond experiment is the classic one, but looking at the nature and science around them, much closer to them in a multidisciplinary way, is a trigger for more young people to get into science. The difficulty of doing multidisciplinary science in the school is a real issue. Collapsing the curriculum to do joint work, doing a cross-science department field trips and projects, and actually you only have to go to the Big Bang to see competitors there. Remind us what the Big Bang is. The Big Bang Fair has the National Science and Engineering Competition there. The young people are there showing their projects. A huge number of those, particularly from the girls, are multidisciplinary. That's right. And coming from an earth sciences background myself, I very much agree with you. It is so much easier in the field to get young people excited by the things around them. And I've I've often said to the people that run trips for some of our primary children, don't just focus on the pond. Look at the electricity pylon as well. Look at things around you. In, in my case, look at the Shell refinery that always provides a very large backdrop to a, any field work in my constituency. It's hugely important that young people get exposed to things that they can see and start thinking about. And yes, you're right that uh, the multidisciplinary nature matters. Removing some of the boring parts of practicals that are there just to drive people through ill-thought-out testing regimes, I think. uh, Let's get back to conducting experiments that are real experiments. Such as? Well, understanding why things fail. It's not just getting a set of perfect results because I've followed the recipe precisely. Science is about experimentation, and experiments go wrong. I'd like young people spending more time explaining why things weren't exactly as the textbook said, rather than simply, in a robotic way, trying to repeat what the textbook says. So tell us just a little bit more about the inquiry. What were some of perhaps the most striking findings or elements of evidence that you've heard so far? Well, I guess the one thing that came out consistently is the importance of technicians in the classroom and the fact that when times are tough, they are the first jobs to be under threat. Without good technicians, you don't get good support. Pressures on the curriculum way up on the list as well. The need for teachers to be able to update their specialist skills, the need for people to perhaps think about some form of accreditation for teachers and technicians who teach in the field. These are the sorts of issues that are starting to emerge. The one thing coming out of young people was that um, with the right teachers, you can do magical things. And sometimes, and especially this is the case in the primary sector where we have a huge shortage of people with science qualifications and the confidence to address some of the scientific issues around them, there is a gap, and we can address that. Were there any particular different findings around further education, where there's a long tradition, of course, of practical learning? In EFI, of course, there is a huge amount of hands-on practical learning. 
What I think is a bit odd, though, is if you go to areas like teacher training, to what extent teachers get exposure to help them encourage children to do experiments themselves seems to be highly variable. The very good are very good, but there's a lot of mediocre out there. We'll come back to this in a minute, but let's now hear from Duncan Jarvis at the BMJ. This week, Duncan looks at the importance of water for healthy lives. Thanks, Andrew. Last week saw the Hydration for Health Initiative conference, sponsored and created by Danone, the French food giant and owner of Evian, Volvic and Badoui water, it extolled drinking water as essential for healthy living. But is there any good scientific evidence to suggest that we're drinking too little and it's causing us harm? This is just fascinating and it's been thoroughly debunked at least twice in the peer-reviewed medical literature. There's never been any evidence that says that well people need to drink more than they would naturally wish to drink. Margaret McCartney, a GP in Glasgow who's been examining the evidence for the BMJ. If you believe that drinking eight glasses of water a day is necessary, you couldn't be blamed. The myth has spread far and wide. It just seems to be perpetually repeated. And even the NHS Choices website tells us that we should be drinking six to eight glasses of water a day, which, as I say, is nonsense. Some water-promoting websites have targeted parents by claiming that drinking water is essential for children to do well at school, with a 10% drop in mental performance when they're thirsty. I think that there's possibly a good point and that some people have made in that many children don't have easy access to fluids or decent toilet facilities at schools. There is no evidence that continually sipping on water during the day will make your children cleverer. That's not borne out by any evidence. And in fact, if you look on a lot of the water-promoting industry websites, they will go back and they will cite references which invariably include a BBC report from a few years ago that said that making children drink more water will make them cleverer and better able to concentrate. And this all comes back to a small study that was done in a school in Scotland asking children to drink more, which was done as part of a lot of other measures and which teachers concluded afterwards seemed to be good. But it wasn't done in any scientific way. I don't think it was ever alluding to any sort of scientific study at the end of it. And yet this is still being cited on numerous websites as a good reason to tell children to drink far more water than they would normally like to. Knowing we need a drink is something that evolution prepared us for 300 million odd years BBW, before bottled water. That's when animal life first left the sea. I'll leave you with Margaret McCartney's sage advice for anyone worrying that they drink too little. Someone was to ask me, a whale adult with no problems with kidney stones or you know, other illnesses, how much to drink a day? I would say drink you know, as much fluid as you would like to for enjoyment and comfort. Your kidneys are fantastic. They are very well able to concentrate your urine when you need to and to dilute it when you don't. So don't make drinking water into health advice that you have to slavishly adhere to with your bottle of water in your hand and ready for your thirsty lips. Back to you, Andrew. Thanks, Duncan, and to the BMJ. Sounds actually like a perfect sort of experiment, actually, doesn't it, Andrew, to actually test uh, in schools to get children to try this and see what happens to their uh, performance by drinking more or less. Well, I think that's a novel idea. I spent my primary school years in, in Malta in the 1950s, and, and, of course, in that kind of heat, avoiding dehydration is hugely important. But uh, in more temperate climates, uh, I think we can over-egg the pudding on, on this one. That's my experience. And I'm not 
entirely convinced that uh, the great marketing exercises that have been done by some brilliantly successful business people who've managed to sell water right across the world in the same bottle, you know, and transport it halfway around the planet. I mean, it does not seem to me to be very scientifically founded, but some wonderful marketing going on there. I mean, the food industry really does pick up these things and it, and it keeps going until the science community ticks it off and maybe it's time we tick them off. But yeah, I liked BBW. I think we should all use that from now on. One of my other personal bugbears, you know, the so-called carbon neutral bottled water. How ludicrous in a country where we get absolutely safe and clean tap water. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. All that's left is to thank Diana Garnham and Andrew Miller here in the studio and Duncan Jarvis from the BMJ. FT Science is produced by LJ Filatrani. I'm Andrew Jack. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com.